0: Let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes, the first chapter please. Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter number 1 is where we'll find our text this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter number 1 and uh, I want us if we can together uh, to look at the first uh, several verses of this particular uh, of this particular chapter. And I want to speak to a message this morning that I've entitled Solomon's Sad Sermon on Life. Solomon's sad sermon on life. The Bible says in verse number one of Ecclesiastes chapter number one, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. You know, as a preacher who has been called by God and equipped by him, I I love preaching. I, I love to preach God's word. I love to hear someone preach God's word, and I love to interact with other preachers and Uh, those who are doing the same thing that i'm doing some of you maybe in this room you're perhaps a teacher and uh, you love to teach and you love to hear teaching and uh, maybe you love meeting with others who are teaching so that you can learn from them and so that you can discuss uh, different things about uh, your craft others of you maybe are involved in the world of business and you enjoy what you do, and, and you enjoy meeting with others that are working in a similar field as, as what you're doing, and, and, uh, and, and we understand that. We understand that that, that, that nearness is, is likeness, and I just have to say that because I'm not just a preacher, but because I'm a happy preacher, I long to hear uh, to hear and to be around other happy, rejoicing, and positive preachers. I like to preach with a smile on my face, and I uh, like to preach with joy in my heart. And I, I do think there's a time and there's a place for, uh, for, you know, uh, difficult preaching, for hard preaching, for strong preaching. I, I believe the message of the Bible is certainly a condemning of sin and it's condemning of w- wickedness. However, I remind you, uh, I remind you that, uh, that, that the, the, the message of the gospel is ultimately a positive, joyous, hopeful message that should leave a smile on our faces and it should leave us with joy in our hearts. I believe that. I believe that's the message that we preach today. I know we're living in a difficult world that's filled with much grief and heartache, but I just have to tell you, I have very little time and I have very little patience for the woe is me Christian. I don't have much to be to be really woe is me about. I have much to celebrate, and I have much to rejoice in. I, 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 listen, I know where I'm going when I die. I, I know that I have everlasting life, and I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. Therefore, I am a rejoicing Christian here this morning, no matter what is going on around me. Think about this. No matter what's going around me, what's happening in my world or in my life what is going on inside of me and who I have inside of me is greater than all of my circumstances. And it's greater than what this world is able to throw at me. Now, in in God's word, we discover right here in this text, we discover a message that is a sad sermon. And it's based upon Solomon's life experiences. And I have to tell you that this sermon is so powerful because it is a personal sermon. Solomon is writing about what he has experienced, he's writing about what he has lived, and he is lamenting over lost opportunities and over poor choices and poor decisions. Solomon isn't telling us about someone else's experiences, but rather he is telling us about his own lived experience. I have to just tell you that at its basest level, life is sad. I think we must all agree on that turn on the news, and most of the stories that you hear will be negative. Daily we hear of death and crime and sickness and disease and suffering. Of course, due to the technology that is available to us today, we are aware today of more things than previous generations before us were aware of. We're hearing about things as they happen And in most instances, not only do we get a news report, here's what happened, but in most cases, we also get an accompanying video that reveals the tragedy that has unfolded in the various news stories. Every horrible event is now chronicled by someone holding a cell phone camera and eventually uploading uh, what they have captured into the digital world. And I just have to say that sadness surrounds us, and due to the curse of sin and due to the nature of mankind, sadness will only grow increasingly more frequent in the coming days. That's just the reality of the thing. The Bible says that in the last days, evil men and seducers shall wax worse. Things aren't going to get better. Things are going to get worse. We must acknowledge that. I have to say that most people come to the church house to be encouraged and to be uplifted for a few moments to avoid the sadness and the darkness that permeates our world But I do feel led for us as a church to consider this morning Solomon's sad sermon on life that is recorded for us here in Ecclesiastes chapter number one. While I don't intend to adopt Solomon's preaching style that emphasizes the sad and discouraging, I do believe, I do believe we can learn some very positive and even hopeful messages from what is recorded for us in this particular text. I want you to consider with me three Main thoughts from the first few verses of this particular chapter, number one, I want you to consider with me the preacher who is delivering this sad sermon on life. The preacher he introduces us to, he introduces himself to us in verse number one, where he says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in jerusalem it 's interesting that he does not use his name he doesn 't use his name instead, he identifies himself in in a couple of different ways. Uh, Number one, he identifies himself as a man who has a message. The preacher is a man with a message. Webster defines a preacher as one who discourses publicly on religious subjects. No man, no man would ever want to stand and publicly discourse on a religious subject unless, unless he had something to say. You understand that a great portion of what I do... Each week, as I get alone with God and I say this, Lord, what do you want me to say next Sunday? Lord, what would you have us to deal with? Lord, what would you have us to emphasize? See, you don't don't come here to listen to what I have to say. You come here to listen to me talk about what God has to say. You desire a message from God's word. For many years, Solomon had been the king in Israel. Prior to that, he had... Grown up the son of the king in Israel. It is safe to say that Solomon had lived a life of privilege. The envy of all who knew him and all who would later learn of his story. He had everything that his heart could possibly desire. He gave himself to accumulate more and more. But listen, as he grew older, he drifted further and further away from the Lord. And the Bible, by the way, the Bible tells us exactly where this breakdown in his relationship with God occurred. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, speaking of Solomon. And he had 700 wives. Let's just stop there for a moment. <laughs> wow. No wonder he's so sad. <laughs> Trying to keep that many women happy at one time. 700 wives. Crazy. The Bible says he had 700 wives. Princesses. Princesses. And three hundred concubines. And notice the next phrase. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. You'll skip down a few verses there in 1 Kings 11, you'll come to verse number nine. And you'll find these words, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared unto him twice. The book of Ecclesiastes was written toward the end of Solomon's life. He's an older man now. He had once served the Lord faithfully and God had blessed him. In this text, the Bible tells us that God had appeared to him personally personally twice on two separate occasions that he had actually heard the very voice of God to know that he was real. God had spoken to him. God had revealed himself to Solomon on two separate occasions. And yet, and yet he allowed himself slowly to drift away from God in the pursuit of worldly pleasures and worldly affections. Solomon wanted, therefore, now as he sits down to write, And as he understands that every one of those pursuits eventually led to a dead-end road, Solomon realized those things provided no happiness. They provided no lasting fulfillment. Solomon now desires that everyone hear this message on a sad sermon on life. Solomon's message will be, here's what it is, that life lived apart from God is empty no matter how much you might possess. It's empty. We might mentally agree to that. I heard some amens here throughout the room this morning. We might mentally agree to that. Probably most of us would like to maybe give it a try. to See if it's really true. You give me a million dollars. Let me spend a year or so with a million dollars. I'll get back to you on whether it really is that empty or not. Sort of how human nature is, isn't it? We kind of like to give that a shot. I'd like to live in that neighborhood and I'd like to drive those kinds of cars and I'd like to shop in those kinds of places and 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 visit those uh, those tourist attractions. I'd like to have that kind of money in my bank account and and, and give that a shot for a little while. Then I'll get back to you and let you know whether it's really all that empty. And I'm just here to tell you take Solomon's word for it. That life lived apart from God is empty. It's empty. Notice he's not only a man with a message, and that is his message, but he's also a man with a great heritage. In other words, why should you listen to this preacher? Sometimes people make determinations based upon accomplishments, based upon things that one has done I'll uh, I'll listen to this guy. He's got a certain last name. I've heard of him before. I know of some of his accomplishments. Yeah, I'll I'll listen to him. I I I know the kind of church that he's pastored, or I I heard him on the radio at some point or another. Sometimes we we base who we're going to listen to based off of certain things like that. Solomon says, "Listen, if you if you won't listen to me because I'm a man with a message, then listen to me because I'm a man with a great heritage. He'd grown up in the king's house." the son of the greatest king in the nation of Israel's history. When studied carefully, no kingdom or no king compares with David, Solomon's father. Solomon hoped. Solomon hoped some some might decide to listen to him, to hear from him, because of who his dad was, because of the home that he'd grown up in, because of the heritage that he had enjoyed. I listen to Solomon because he's the son of David. Certainly he has something to say. I want to remind you there's a greater reason as to why you should listen to Solomon. The Bible tells us in the book of 1 Peter that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You ought not to listen to this message simply because, well, we've got a man with a message. Nor should you want to listen to this message simply because we have a man with a great heritage. He's the son of the great King David. You ought to desire to listen to this message because it is a message from the very Holy Spirit of God. So we consider the preacher. But notice, secondly, let's look at the message we discover, really, in verses 2 through 11, I find it interesting that Solomon does not have a clever, alliterated outline. He does not have fancy illustrations or a tear-jerking conclusion. He simply reveals his sermon, listen, in one sentence. Some of you, some of you were hoping that I would get through my sermon in one sentence as well, weren't you? <laughs> be kind of nice. Get on with our day. They say repetition is the key to learning, and that certainly seems to be a tactic that is used here. In verse number two, he shouts for all who will hear these words. Here's the message. This is the sermon. It's in one sentence. And here it is. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. That's the message. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The word vanity means emptiness. Another meaning for this word is unsatisfactory. In other words, this is a a sad sermon, but that doesn't mean it isn't true or that it's not worth hearing. Solomon proclaims that life lived apart from God is worthless, that it is empty, that it is unsatisfactory, no matter how much you have in the way of possessions or in the way of privilege. As we said a moment ago, Solomon had everything the world says you need in order to be happy, and yet he discovered these things do not make you happy. Happiness is not found in wealth. It's not found in position. It's not found in relationships. Happiness is not found in any of these things whatsoever. It's not found in fame. Solomon had all of these, and yet, and yet he admits here that these things left him truly empty and longing for more. And by the way, he isn't alone. Alexander the Great conquered Persia, but he broke down and wept bitter tears because his troops were too exhausted to push on to India. In other words, Persia wasn't enough. It didn't make him happy. It didn't satisfy him. He wanted more. And yet he looked at his band of soldiers and he thought to himself, there's no way that they can go on any longer. And a man by the name of Hugo Grotius, the father of modern international law, said at the end of his life, I have accomplished nothing worthwhile in my life. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, perhaps not as great of a president as Abraham Lincoln, But a decent leader wrote in his diary these words, My life has been spent in vain and idle aspirations and in ceaseless, rejected prayers that something would be the result of my existence beneficial to my species. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote words that continue to delight and enrich our lives as an author. And yet, what did he write for his epitaph? These words, Here lies one who meant well, who tried a little, and failed much cecil rhodes opened up africa and established an empire but what were his dying words here's what he said so little done so much to do someone once asked john d rockefeller one of the wealthiest men that ever lived man buried not far from here they asked him sir said sir how much money is enough talking to a man who had millions of dollars in his bank account, the equivalent of billions of dollars today. And do you know what his words were? He looked at the man who asked him, Sir, how much money is enough? And he responded with these words, Just a little bit more. Never satisfied. That's what Solomon discovered. That's the reality of life. Here's what Solomon Solomon tells us. He gives us the sermon, and then he gives a few additional thoughts. Number one, one, he says this, we work hard, but we're never satisfied. We work hard, but we're never satisfied. Would you look in verse number three? He says, what profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? Look in verse number eight. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. I think to myself that a man goes to work, and he earns a paycheck to satisfy his bills for another week or two, but you know as well as I do, those bills never cease. (laughs) They never quit coming. You pay this month's bill, and you think to yourself, well, that's good, but you know what's coming in August, don't you? And you know what's coming in September and October and November and December, Whatever he makes, whatever she makes, is never enough. According to verse 8, Saladin writes that the eye is never satisfied with simply seeing. and The ear is never satisfied with hearing. There is a part of man that always longs for more. If you haven't already discovered this, you soon will. That life is full of hard work and labor to provide for your needs. But there will always be more needs to be met. When we first got married... We had heard all of the stories of, you know, Bible college students getting married, struggling to to make it. And we mentally sort of have prepared ourselves for that. And uh, we married, and I had one semester left of Bible college, and, and we sort of did okay. I mean, you know, we weren't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, some of the stories that I had heard weren't necessarily the reality in our lives. We were rolling along through life until... My wife approached me and she said, guess what? We're expecting a child. And then the bills really started rolling up. I've told you the day that I came home from work and my wife had said, you know, we need to get some new furniture for the baby. And I thought to myself, well, why does the baby need new furniture? You know, what's wrong with the furniture that we have? And that was the start. That was the start of a long journey of kids constantly holding their hands out, saying, dad, I need just a little bit more. I need some money for this and I need some money for that. You know as well as I do that we work hard, to satisfy our needs, but the needs are never met. Solomon had all the wealth he could have desired, but he still wasn't satisfied. And then he says this, not only do we work hard, but we're never satisfied. Then he, then he says this, and then he says, number two, we all die. This is life. This is, this is life. You, you're going to work hard all your life, and the bills are never going to go away. And the needs will always be there. And then at the end of things, guess what's going to happen? Then you're going to die. Well, this is encouraging, isn't it? This is Solomon's sad sermon on life. You need to hear it. This this is, by the way, this this is what the whole world outside the walls of this church is pursuing. They're pursuing just a little bit more for happiness. They're never going to be happy. And they're never going to be satisfied. And what comes at the end of all that work? Death, verse number four. Brother Larry, let's just go to the pulpit mic. Something's wrong with our lavalier here. Look at verse number four. He says, one generation passeth away and another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. if the above isn't bad enough that we all work hard and we're never satisfied, at the end of all of this work to provide money to live but never really find satisfaction, what comes at the end? Death comes at the end. One generation is born. They work hard to provide for their needs so that they can enjoy some earthly pleasures before dying and leaving behind them another generation to do the same and this repeats itself over and over and over again. Death is no respecter of persons. Solomon's wealth and access to doctors and medicine couldn't prevent him from dying. And this ultimate end, listen, this ultimate end struck him in a very real way. You Understand he's now an older man He's closer to death than he's ever been And he's looking over his life and he's thinking to himself. What was the point of it all? There was no satisfaction And now i'm going to die And my generation's going to die along with me and we're going to leave another generation behind us Who's going to follow after the same selfish pursuits that we followed after and they're going to die But the one thing that continues on is this earth it abides forever Think of the world. Think of this world without Christ. The vast majority of us in this room, probably not all of us, but the vast majority of in this room, we know the Lord. We know where we're going. We, we're wrestling with our perhaps our own flesh to avoid living like Solomon lived. But at the end of the day, we know, we know where our eternal destiny is. But think about those who do not know Christ. They give themselves to labor in hopes they will make enough to enjoy some things in this life. Just a few short weeks ago, my wife and I and our family were in South Florida. I suppose because I'd never been there before, I had never realized the, the amount of wealth that dwells along that coast. And the mansions and the homes uh, sitting over, either looking over the ocean or perhaps along a the canal there in, 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 the, uh, in the southeast corner there of the state of Florida. I thought to myself, we drove through some of those homes, and I noticed that many of them were, were were sort of shuttered. They were closed up, and then it dawned on us: these aren't homes that these people live in; these are their vacation homes. And I thought to myself, now that's enough to make you sick. <laughs> you know, most of us, our vacation home is a Hampton Inn or a Holiday Inn Express or an Airbnb. Not this, not this crowd, no, no, this crowd, their vacation home are 45 $40, forty-five million dollar mansions. And I have to tell you, I looked at them, I thought it must be nice. I wouldn't mind having one of those. But listen, I want you to know something. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade where I'm going. I wouldn't trade the life that I'm living. I wouldn't trade the Holy Spirit of God inside of me and the peace and the contentment that comes as a result of it. I wouldn't trade it for every home on the southeast Florida coast. Listen, listen, I, I think to myself of the crowd that lives in... I'm not saying all of them don't know Christ, but perhaps many of them don't know Christ. And they've accumulated wealth and they've thought to themselves, this is it, this is life, but that's not life. Here's why, here's why we know that, because... Because they're not satisfied with that. The human human nature says, I've got to have more. Well, that was good, but I've got to be looking for the next big home to purchase. And I've got to be looking for the next experience. And maybe maybe this vehicle will provide us with some lasting fulfillment and joy and happiness. But it's a never-ending quest. It never ends. They hope they'll make enough to enjoy some things in this life. But it's never enough. And then they die. Is there anything sadder than that? To work your whole life? Never be satisfied and then die? Well, there is because Solomon's not finished. Here's the third thing he says. He says, we work hard, but we're never satisfied. Then we all die. If that's not bad enough, according to verse number 11, and we're all forgotten. Would you look with me there in verse 11? There is no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Well, this is depressing, isn't it? (laughs) We work hard day after day. Some of you, you exhaust yourself. You come home from a day of work and you have nothing left to give. You do it all so that you can earn a little bit of money so that you can pay bills that are constantly coming. And so that you can maybe enjoy a few nice things here and there. And you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe this next nice thing that I get will provide lasting fulfillment, and it never does. Never satisfied. Never, ever, ever. And then you die. If that's not bad enough, within a certain amount of time, then you're forgotten. With the passing of time, eventually, a man is forgotten about, with very few exceptions Not only do we work all of our lives and we're never satisfied, we eventually die and after a period of time we're forgotten about. Now you begin perhaps to understand why Solomon wrote or preached what he did. Vanity of vanities, emptiness of emptiness, unsatisfaction everywhere I look, it's all around me. There's no hope. This is the best that life has to offer. Here's what life eventually leaves us all with. It leaves us without satisfaction, it leaves us dead, and it leaves us forgotten. That's life at its basest level. That's what your neighbors, listen, that's what your neighbors are pouring themselves into. That's what they're living for, is the next weekend. It's the next big bonus. It's the next big purchase. It's it's this and it's that until we come to the end of life and we breathe our last breath and they put us into a box. They say a few nice words about us. They lower us six feet into the ground. And within six months, we're completely forgotten about. This is life. This, This is what it is. And listen, the vast majority of the world around us, that's the way they're living. That's what it's all about. I want to spend the remainder of our time together, talking about an application. Can I give you an application? Just two specific thoughts that, that I want to leave you with because I never, want to leave, I never want to leave you to walk out these doors and think to yourself, well, that was depressing. I want to try and give you some hope because there is hope. There's biblical hope. Number one, I want to say this. What Solomon describes is the very best that you can do with your life. I'm saying that you, that you can do with your life. That's a key key phrase, key word there. What Solomon writes about here is the absolute best that you can do with your life. In other words, life in your hands. Life lived the best way that you know how to live it is right there. Work really hard, but are never satisfied. Die someday. Get put in the ground. And within a few years, most of the people have forgotten about you, and we, we all move on. That's, that's, that's about as good as it gets for you and I living life in our own strength, in our own power, and in our own ability. On your own, that's as good as it gets. Here's, here's, how, here's why we know that, because Solomon had every advantage. He had every advantage over any of us. He grew up in the palace. He eventually sat on the throne himself. So so again, if we're, if we're talking about money, there's not a man or woman in this church that's ever going to have more money than Solomon had. If we're talking about position, there's not a man or a woman in this room this morning that's ever, ever going to have as much position as Solomon had. If we're talking about fame, there's not a man or woman in this world that's ever going to have more fame. If we're talking about wisdom, there's not a man or a woman in this world that's ever going to have more wisdom than Solomon had. So he had every advantage over us, and this was his lived experience. See, I, know, I know how it is. Sometimes we sit and we say, well, that, that was him. I can figure it out a little bit better. I can, I can do a little bit better. And I'm here to tell you, listen, what Solomon describes is the very best that you and I can do in this life. Now you begin. Now you begin to understand, again, why Solomon wrote what he did. The vast majority of the world is going through life in their own strength and in their own power and without fail, this is the end result for everyone who lives life in their own strength and in their own power and in their own ability. But I want you to con- consider with me the second thought because what Solomon describes is the best you can do with your life. But, but, number two, what Christ offers is a beautiful alternative. What Christ offers each and every one of us is a beautiful alternative On my own, I'm unsatisfied. I'm destined to die and to eventually be forgotten. But Christ offers such a beautiful alternate reality. Number one, I want you to consider with me, according to the scriptures, in Christ, there is satisfaction. Remember we said that the wealth that you accumulate, the things that you work so hard for, they ultimately... They ultimately do not provide lasting satisfaction. Maybe a temporary lift, as it were. That new vehicle that maybe somebody's driving, you drove onto the parking lot today, and it's still kind of cool, but give it six months. And it, it'll still be okay, but what's not cool is going to be that payment that's attached to it. Maybe those little dents and dings that have been acquired over time. I'm just, I'm just simply saying, listen, listen, on my own, life is unsatisfactory. I'm headed for death and eventually forgotten, but Christ says, here, I I can satisfy. And listen, most most will do life Solomon's way. They will live for temporary pleasure and enjoy some things for a season, but they'll ultimately discover that there is no lasting satisfaction in these things. Then they'll get sick and die, be buried and forgotten about. Christ had a conversation with a woman he met at a well one day. He said to her, he said, the water that you're here to collect. He said, I, I want you to know that this, the water that's going to come from this well is not going to provide lasting satisfaction for you. It's sort, it's sort of like the money that we make. We have to have it to live and to survive. We understand that. The bills must be paid, and we must live in a, in a home or an apartment, and we must have a little bit of food to eat, and, and we must drink a little bit of water. But Jesus looked at this woman who was there working so hard to collect This water from this well and he said listen he said this water will not ultimately satisfy he said you will eventually drink everything that you have drawn from this well the pitcher will be empty and you'll be thirsty again just like you and i will work for 40 hours 50 hours 60 hours we'll collect a paycheck and we will spend everything in that paycheck and we'll need another paycheck once again jesus says to this woman at the well these he says these words he says, and by the way, he says, you'll continue this pattern until you die. Jesus answered and said her, John 4, 13, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. They shall. And I'm just here to tell you that, that those that are living life, like Solomon describes, they will thirst again. They will be hungry again. They will perhaps enjoy a few things, but ultimately, they will need more and more. And they'll have to have Additional things and they'll have to have more pleasures and more wealth and more prosperity until they die. That's exactly what Jesus says to this woman is exactly what Solomon had written a thousand years prior. You will work hard to fill your pitcher before emptying it and then needing to fill it again. To work hard once again, to fill it up again before emptying it once again. And you'll continue that cycle, that same pattern over and over again until you die. And then you are left to be forgotten about. So in essence, when Jesus meets a woman at the well in John 4, he's telling her the exact same thing that Solomon writes here. He's saying, vanity of vanities. Sure, you have to have the water to live, but that water doesn't satisfy. That water just gets you through another day. It's empty. Christ promised, however, to give this woman water that when when one drinks of it, they never thirst again. Listen to what he says in John 4 and verse number 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You know what he said? He said, listen, instead of visiting the well every day, he said, if you'll come to me, I'll implant a well in you that will spring up for everlasting life. You'll never need to visit another well again. I provide lasting satisfaction. This isn't the only time he would use this type of analogy to describe or illustrate the lasting effect that he has on a soul who comes to him in simple faith. In John 6.35, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The world looks for satisfaction in careers, perhaps in substances, like alcohol or drugs. They look for satisfaction in vacations, in possessions, in relationships. Listen, every one of these, every one of these requires more and more and more. The alcoholic is not satisfied until he has another drink. The drug addict is not satisfied until he has another hit of drugs. Those that are living for travel are not satisfied until they take their next trip to a place that they've not yet ever been. The person who is living for possessions, he's not satisfied until he reaches this amount. And then when he reaches that amount, he's still not satisfied. Now what's the next level that I need to go to? Those who put their trust in these things for satisfaction will discover, like Solomon did, that they ultimately bring disappointment. However, I'm here to tell you, however, if you look to Christ and trust in Him, you will discover true and lasting satisfaction that never ends. There's not a man or woman in this room who knows Christ, who's looking around saying there's got to be something better than this. Now, there may may be something better than the Christian life that you're living, but there's nothing, listen, there's nothing better than the Christian life experience lived at its highest level. There's no one one here this morning saying, "I, I, I must have more. Not if you're truly in Christ. He provides lasting satisfaction. He provides bread that keeps us from ever being hungry again. He provides water that keeps us from ever thirsting again. Can I say, not only... In Christ, there is satisfaction, but in Christ, there is eternal life. The Bible says in John 10, 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus is the great shepherd. He promises to give his sheep eternal life. Those who come and drink of this water and eat of this bread of life are his sheep. And not only, listen, does he give us satisfaction in this life, he gives us peace in this life, but he also gives us eternal life. I won't, listen, I'm not going to get eternal life someday. Listen, it is a present possession. I have it right now. It was given to me the day that I got saved, and I can never lose it. I love what Jesus told Martha there, outside of her brother's grave. Lazarus had been dead now for four days. And Martha accused Jesus, you waited too long. Had you been here sooner, he would not have died. I love what Jesus said. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, maybe maybe some of my favorite words in the Bible, shall never die. Amen. Believest thou this? Last evening, I went to a funeral home not far from here. I stood next to a casket, and I addressed about 100 people or so. And I looked in that casket, and of course I saw the lifeless body of an 82-year-old man Lived a good long life. It had been a blessing to his family who knew the Lord. And what a blessing it was to be able to look at that congregation of people and tell them he's not really dead. Not if our Bible is true. Because Jesus said that whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Those who know Christ. When it comes their time to pass from this life into the next. What happens is they breathe their last breath here. And they breathe their next breath on the other side. Where they will live and breathe and enjoy life for all of eternity. This is the hope of eternal life that Christ gives. You can take my life physically. But that's only the first death. The Bible speaks of two deaths. And in Christ, in Christ, I am, you are forever protected from the second death. And because the second death is final... And it is eternal. It's the one that matters most. I don't have to experience the second death, and because of that, I truly, I truly will never die. As in the first death, I simply transition from life here on this earth to life in God's heaven. The world fears death because they don't know what is waiting for them, or or maybe because some of them do know what is waiting for them, and they're terrified at the prospect of it. Those in Christ, they don't fear death. Because for them, their best life is not the one that has lived for these 70, 80, perhaps 90 years. No, their best life is yet to come, and it is eternal. In this room this morning are two kinds of people. There are those who know where they are going when they die, and there are those who don't. I just want to remind you that we are all going to die. That's part of Solomon's sad sermon on life. You're going to work hard your whole life, never really be satisfied, and then you're eventually going to die. Can I remind you that while we will all die, we will not all go to the same place. Jesus promises eternal life to those that believe in him by faith. And we know, listen, we know he is capable of giving that eternal life to us by his resurrection. Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, because Jesus rose from the dead, because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and had power over others that had died, and raised, it's obvious he has power over death. Therefore, by believing in him, by trusting in his death and burial and resurrection, I too can someday spend eternity with God in heaven. So there are those who know where they're going. Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you know where you're going? Some of you are sitting here and you have absolutely no clue where you will go when you die. You hope for the best, but you have no certainty that the best is still to come for you. In just a moment, we will stand together and we will offer an invitation. We're going to invite folks who do not know Christ, who do not know for certain where they're going when they die. We're going to offer them an opportunity to learn, to know that they can know for sure that heaven is their home. There are those in this room who are living, living life, trying to find satisfaction in things. And then there are those in this room who have found true satisfaction in Christ. Can I remind you that one does not have to be an unbeliever to seek satisfaction apart from Christ. Solomon was was a child of God. I'm going to spend eternity with him in heaven just like he's going to spend eternity with me. And yet here was a man who admitted, I tried to live life for things, for pleasures, and it was empty. Some of you are sitting here saying, well, that message is for the lost people. No, that message is for all of us. Because if we're not careful, every last one of us in this room can get to a point where we try to find happiness in things, in relationships, in career advancements, in more money, in possessions, in travel, in bigger homes, nicer cars, finer restaurants. And here's the conclusion. Here's the conclusion of it all. The only satisfaction is found in Christ Jesus. If you haven't already, you soon will discover that Solomon's assessment is true. Life lived apart from Christ is empty and completely void of satisfaction. Our heads are